Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So a funny story to start the pod today. Back when I was in high school, I worked for a radio station in my hometown. And one day I accidentally recorded myself burping, eating lunch, making noise and singing into the microphone because I could hear myself in the headphones. I accidentally took that recording and slotted it in for every weather segment for the rest of the day. And uh, after that, I packed up, I went home and then 30 minutes later, got a call from my boss telling me that uh, the entire town was listening to me uh, eat my lunch and uh, burp through their radio. So uh, yeah, not a high point. G'day everyone, I'm Kyle Moore and welcome back to The Wreck. This is the podcast where we celebrate a world more mental and destigmatize all things mental health through sharing stories and having a good old chat. Uh, if you want more Life's Wreck content and to listen to extended interviews with guests on the podcast, uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Life's Wreck Podcast and follow us on Instagram at Life's Wreck Podcast. Okay, uh, it has been a uh, an interesting time mental health wise, uh, not just for me, but for for so many in uh, in my my community here in Nova Scotia. Um, just wanted to uh, before we hop into the pod today, send some love to all those who have been affected by the uh, the flash floods. It's uh, been incredibly tragic to see the the aftermath of all of the different natural disasters that have uh, been taking place across the province. So uh, I hope that uh, everyone is is uh, recovering well. Uh, my thoughts are going out to, to those who were lost in the floods, their families, and uh, just know that in the link of the description, there will be a, uh, a link to some, uh, some local supports, uh, mental health and, uh, and kind of tangible recovery um, for anybody who was affected. So uh, yeah, just uh, I, I definitely, you can certainly feel the, the presence of, of, you know, grief and it's been a, it's been a really tough year for a lot of people around the province. And I think you're feeling that. So just know that, uh, we're uh, we're thinking about you, uh, everyone over here at Life's Rec. Uh, in terms of my own, uh, one of the things that I, I have been enjoying to do, uh, and one of the things I want to continue to do is do a little bit of a, a mental health update, a little mental health check in. One of the things that I think is important when it comes to any form of destigmatization is really having the opportunity to kind of just say, you know, I'm doing well, I'm not doing well. Uh, right now, I've kind of been going through the the, the valleys uh, a little bit, feeling a little bit low. On my day to day, I've been back in therapy, and therapy has been this amazing 
uh, space, uh, but it has brought up a lot of different, uh, the way I described it to my therapist the other day, and, and I feel comfortable sharing this with all of you, is that I, I think that after dedicating so much time to my mental health kind of recovery, my mental health journey, and, and learning to live with my OCD and my anxiety, um, I, I felt like I had climbed this mountain. I felt like I was at the top of the mountain. And then through kind of unpacking some things with therapy and really kind of taking the time to do a little bit of that self-exploration, listening to my, to my body and kind of saying, like, what do I really need? I feel like there's been this element of clouds clearing at the top of the mountain. And then you look behind you and you go, there's a lot of mountain left to climb. And so there's an element of feeling a little bit, you know, you're, you're kind of like, you know, you're looking up and you're just kind of, you're a little bit frustrated. Or I'm a little bit, I shouldn't say you, you know, I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm, it's a, you know, when it's been so much work, I know how much work has been put into getting to this stage. And then you see, and you're like, wow, okay. You know, this really is this lifelong thing where, you know, time has to be dedicated consistently to continue to work towards betterment it's uh it's it's definitely been a bit of a a bit of a drag but at the same time i know that these times in my life have always led to some of the most amazing times in my life that these kind of um the the one step at a time knuckle in the dirt you know crawl forward just kind of make it through the day uh take one day at a time these moments and the life lessons uh, that are learned from these times, the resourcefulness that comes from navigating these emotions and navigating these feelings have led to some of the more amazing points in my life. So I think I'm trying to appreciate the day-to-day and appreciate some of the lows as being these life lessons in progress, kind of downloading life lessons. And you're in the middle of it and you're like, I don't see it yet, but you know that it's it's kind of on its way. So it's been an interesting time for me, but uh, I appreciate uh, all this community and, and uh, everything that uh, that we represent. Uh, the conversations that I've been having on the podcast have been amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be sharing another amazing one with you today. Uh, and in today's episode, I'm joined by my friend Joel Kaskinen uh, to talk about his experiences as a mental health advocate, something that we share. Uh, and in this episode, we talk about institutional neglect of mental well-being uh, as well as suicide so a, a trigger warning for all of those listening and i'm really excited to share this conversation with all of you so let's get into it and uh, and meet joel joel kaskinen is a self-proclaimed accidental advocate with a big mouth and a bigger heart a passionate storyteller joel uses his background in communications and community building to advocate for mental health care suicide and gun violence prevention and other social rights he is the host of the Mental Health Storytelling Podcast, It's All in My Head, of which I've been a guest, and I'll make sure to link that episode down in the description, uh, which can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Joel often describes himself as a coyote because he can be heard before he's seen. Uh, he's a friend of the show and someone uh, I've been very fortunate to become friends with throughout uh, my mental health journey and my journey as a podcaster, uh, a really fantastic individual and one I'm, I'm super happy to have on the podcast today. So Joel, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Yeah, how am I? Um, I'm personally well. I am hanging in there. You know, uh, it's a loaded question, obviously, when you're on a mental health podcast Always. to be asked, mm. "How are you?" Um, I am. I'm. I'm doing well. You know, like things are on the up and up. Um, I'm feeling personally really great. Uh, you know, there's some ups and downs, of course, like. My roommate is moving out, so there's the stress of finding a new roommate, and it's almost summer, which means there's the stress of the, like, 
end of school year situation with my current work, but also knowing that summer is a very busy time for us as well. Like that transition kind of period is looming over me. But then in addition Mm -hmm. to all of that, um, you know, like I'm feeling pretty positive, you know, like I'm, I've decided to take the month of May off of drinking just to kind of reset. Amazing. You know, yeah. yeah, I try I try to do, you know, a little reset over here and now, you know, every once in a while. Um, mm. But May, because April has been so busy, but also because it's my birthday month, like I'm not going to take some time off during that. But May work slows down a little bit. Life slows down a little bit. I'm going to try to like reinstate my health quota, if you will. You know, like I'm going to get back into running um, every morning before going to work. I really want to focus on not drinking during the month of May. Um, Really want to focus on like reading and listening to podcasts rather than like watching trash TV. So yeah, I always try to do like a month like sabbatical or a month hiatus from like my bad habits and um, really focus on health um, every couple of months. And so May is that month. So um, yeah, as we look forward to May, that's what I'm looking forward to. So I can't say that things are bad necessarily no i can't say that things are great either but things are we're we're rolling and that and honestly sometimes that's all you can ask for right it's just to be kind of going from one day to the next and putting one foot in front of the other and it's so funny that you actually mentioned um the fact that you're doing that in may because i had noticed that my anxiety recently had been kind of bad i was feeling a little bit like that kind of vertigo my stomach was really like giving me some troubles and so for the past couple weeks i've really like coffee um alcohol and weed are like three things that i've kind of stepped away from almost entirely there's been there's been a little little slip up here and there but uh it's been it's actually been a really nice little like reset um i feel for my just for for my body because like i kind of said that 2023 was going to be the healthiest year of my life that was kind of the goal um and so this idea of like making conscious decisions like you said making conscious decisions for yourself um it's a very like it's like a empowering aspect of health to like reclaim your health that's like that's beautiful so i'm i'm very happy to hear that you're kind of along a, a similar journey, a little, little, little past intertwining right now. And I'd love to kind of know a little bit because I find as a, as a fellow podcaster, this is something that I find so interesting along a mental health journey. When the podcast kind of became part of the, of the path and like what kind of outlet it provided to you. And so I would really love to learn a little bit more about uh, It's All in My Head, which by the way, if anybody wants to go check it out, uh, it's, it's, you can find it everywhere, right? Spotify, oh, Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Beautiful. Amazing. It's a great show. Uh, Joel's fantastic. Joel's been a friend of the show for a, for a long time. Like and, three years. Uh, and yet it's been a while. It's been a while. The fact that we're just doing this recording now is, is uh, you know, a tragedy. Well, honestly. you've been on my uh, show, though. So it's not like a full tragedy. It's not like we're missing out. You know, like we've been fair, in, fair. we've been in contact for years, you know, like and yes. I, it's funny because I actually I've had I, I know I've been in and out of the, the podcast groove for some time. <laughs> so it's nice now that now that I feel a little bit more like I'm back in it. I'm like, OK, I got to make sure that I'm like, who, you know, who do I got to who do I got to bring on? Who Who's part of been, you know, such an amazing contributor the community whose story are we are we sharing uh so i'm glad that we finally got to make this happen yeah heck yeah anyway the question was that you'd asked um like where where did the podcast start like how did i get mm. my groove correct is that what you're asking yes me? absolutely yeah. um so i actually started dabbling with um podcasting 
oh God, probably five or six years ago. Um, and I started dabbling cause I've been a huge podcast consumer forever. I mean, I love podcasts. There are, is something to me as someone who thrives on stories, who thrives on relationships, who thrives on, um, connections with others. There is something to me that I've always loved about the digital storytelling aspect of things and voice specifically is something that I love. Um, okay. I want to connect with you via voice. Uh, like I'm, I don't text a ton. Like I, I mean, I do, but like, it's not my favorite. Are you a caller? I love to just pick up the phone and call. I love to, <laughs> I, I'm one of those psychopaths who dry FaceTimes. Like, just like cold call FaceTimes and everyone hates that, but I'm one of those guys. Like that is, if I'm going to talk to you, I want to see your face. I want to see your expressions. I want to know the, you know, the, the way that you're annotating, the way that you're dictating your speech. Like I, I mean, I studied communications and public relations um, in my bachelor's degree, you know, in, in undergrad, like that's what so I studied. You've been around for but a like, while. I also have always just thrived on storytelling. And if you think about it, storytelling has been around from day one of existence of human existence things are passed on via voice via storytelling via word of mouth and so for me that is something that I've always latched on to and from I, I didn't speak until I was like six years old my parents and my family tease me all the time like it took you so long to like actually speak and to like learn words and like to function as your like own individual self as mm. a child. But then when you started speaking, you just didn't shut up. Like it was, it's this ongoing joke that we have in my family, but I find that I think as the third of four children, I didn't have to speak because other people were speaking for me. And I'm one of like 42 mm. grandchildren. So like wow. I have plenty. Big family, yeah. my goodness. Oh my God. It's excessive. It's like, it's insane. But like, I didn't ever have to speak for myself because I had other people to do so. And mm. so I think for a long time growing up, my storytelling was in the form of listening to other people and just latching onto that. And then when I determined one day that I'm going to start speaking at six years old when I'm in preschool or whatever, yeah. now all of a sudden I have a story to share and I'm going to tell it. And so right. I find this like beauty in storytelling. I find this beauty in word of mouth communication. I found this beauty in connecting with others. And I, that's mm -hmm. the reason I studied communications and public relations in undergrad, because I wanted to have this connection to uh, everything that I knew that I loved about growing up with a giant family in a small town where everyone knew each other. Like I knew that the, the thing that I loved was storytelling and was relationship building. And so how do you do that? By studying the ways in which you communicate. And so I went to school for communication studies and public relations. And I, there's not a moment that goes by that I don't think about how I'm communicating to someone else, whether it's in person spatially, whether it's in person body language, 
wise, whether it's what I'm actually saying, what they're hearing, what I'm saying to them because my eyes are rolling, like whatever. But like, that's really important to me. And so Mm -hmm. the podcast element of things, getting all the way back to your original question, um, the podcast came about because I wanted a space to connect with people via voice because Mm. there is one thing in the world that you can't control about your identity and that is your voice I mean there's plenty of other things but like the one thing that you literally have zero control over is how you sound Mm. to other people yeah yeah and did you find that like when you were I'm so curious here because like you know talking about this idea of broadening reach and establishing these connections through voice and all these things did it come about because i know for me it came about at a time when like i kind of built something that i needed it was like you know did you feel like there was a a disconnect with some you know some elements of your life and it was like the podcast was a tool to maybe like extend that reach a little bit farther to like you know seek out connection yes so i actually started a podcast that is not it's all in my head um, I started okay. a sports podcast because I, no way. yeah, so I am a terribly unathletic, uncoordinated on anything, <laughs> sports, ball, hand-eye coordination, human being oriented. Like I'm, that is just okay. not me. Set in the, set in the stage. I yeah. love it. And I have always found this interest in people bonding over sports and bonding Mm. over this camaraderie, the tailgating aspect, the like, there's, there's a social element to sports and whether or not you understand the exact sport that is happening, there's this element of social connectivity. And that's something that I've always been drawn to. And my siblings and my father are all very athletic and very engaged in that world. And so growing up, I didn't really connect with any of my siblings. I didn't really connect with my father because I just, I wasn't into that stuff, you know, like it just wasn't my interest. It wasn't my forte. It's not something that I was good at. So I just, it wasn't a connection area and I missed out on that element of things because my siblings and my father would go out hunting. They would go out fishing. They would go up in the backyard and play basketball, football. I mean, like what have you? And I, I just, I didn't do that because it's not something that I enjoyed. It's not something that I was good at, whatever. And so I decided in college when I was, or in graduate school, excuse me, when I was um, going to a D1 university and sports were like the it thing, I decided like, Mm -hmm. what if I like talked to people about their experiences with sports and athletics and why it is that they are interested in this? so cool. And so I started a podcast about that mostly for me to like learn sports and to learn the camaraderie aspect of it. Well, turns out that if you don't know sports, you can't have a podcast because you can't talk about anything. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that those episodes, the ideas for episodes dry up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. 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 So uh, it lasted all of like five months. Um, you know, like I had very few episodes. I had a blast doing it, but it was just, it. you couldn't sustain it because I didn't know what I'm doing. Well, now I'm a huge sports fan because I've determined like through that process of like learning 
that it's about so much more than just the sport itself. It's about mm-hmm. the fact that sports intersect with culture, that sports intersect with arts, yes. that sports intersect with politi- uh, politics, that sports intersect mm-hmm. with culture and human um, relationships, and that sports are about leadership and teamwork and about learning yourself. And there's so much to it. And I realized through hosting this trash sports podcast that I love sports. And I'm now like, I'm like a huge sports fan now. Like I watch everything. It's disgusting. But also through that process, I realized what I really loved about podcasting and what I loved about learning through that process was connecting with other people and their stories. And everyone has a story and everyone has a story worth hearing. And so whether it's sports related, it's arts related, it's uh, political, it's um, historical, it's a memoir, or it's your mental health story. Mm. I want to share that. And so I decided... Mm. I'm going to change things up and I want to talk about mental health and the decision, the final kind of straw, the decision to make me choose to go into the mental health podcast space was I lost three students in one year's time to suicide. And sorry, my thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was the worst year of my life. Um, And I decided After not being, I was told by administration, I was told by people that I worked with that I could not speak about these deaths and that I could not, I I was told that I couldn't say that they were suicides because the university that I was working for at the time was not going to publish it in a like public statement that it was suicide. Oh my gosh. And so I was told you can't talk about it. You can't say any details. You can't la 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 la. And as someone who worked for the university, but also had relationships with each of these three students, and it was the middle one, the second one that died by suicide, that actually was Mm. like the big trigger for me, um, because I was there when it happened and I responded and performed first aid, um, that moment to me changed everything. And I decided if you're going to tell me that I cannot say that this was a suicide and that I cannot say that this happened on our campus and that I cannot say blank, 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 because you are worried about the perception or what have you, Mm -hmm. I can't be in this organization anymore because this is equally as much my story as it is theirs because I was there when it happened. And for you to say that I cannot speak the truth of the nature of the incident mm. really rubbed me totally wrong, like totally wrong. And I decided in that moment, it's like, I have to start figuring out a way to process my emotions in a healthy way. And, and so that was the podcast. The podcast was the way that I did that, you know, because I was wow. able to mm. share my experience with people who didn't know what was happening It wasn't my friends. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my family. I mean, yes, my friends and family are listening, but like, it wasn't just that it was reaching anyone that listens to podcasts about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I was able to build a community and also share my story in an anonymous way, semi-anonymous way, um, that made me feel like 
I'm doing this justice. I'm doing myself justice. Mm. I'm doing this person justice because they deserve to be shared. You know, they, they, they have a legacy. They have a story to tell too, just because it ended early and it ended abruptly and it ended on campus does not mean that they don't have a story to share. And so for me, it was like, how can I leave this legacy for myself as the first responder? And also for them as someone who was going through something absolutely so hellish that they couldn't get out of it. Mm. Yeah. And so is there any backlash? I, I, because like, I'm just, you know, trying, and this is a, this is a story that is, is all too common is the idea of let's, you know, the uh, suicide, the big, the big S word, let's just kind of keep everything, you know, neat and tucked in and swipe it under the rug. And, you know, it's a, it's an epidemic on campuses around the world, but yet so many people are just like, oh, we don't have a mental health problem. And yet, you know, all of these things happen. Right. And so I'm curious, like when you did start to speak truth to your experience and used a, you know, publicly available platform to do so, did you find, was there any, pushback or or kickback that came because of of creating the podcast um yeah i actually Mm. so i no longer work in education because i Mm. i don't want to say i've been blacklisted or blackballed but uh administrators that i used to work with have certainly shamed me have certainly like Mm. put me on blast and said that like i'm not someone that they want to work with or that should be worked with because I'm going to be insubordinate or, you know, what have you. Um, right. I, yeah, I left, I left the world of education. I left higher education because I was told that I had to stop what I was doing. And I was the only person advocating for this um, access to mental health care for this resource development for mental health care for this, um, prevention of suicide for this, um, uh, whatever it is that you want to claim it as I was the only one on our campus that was like really, really pushing for it. And I was also the only one on this campus who had experienced something like that, you know, like there, there, there are few people in the world who have experienced firsthand, a response to a death by suicide. How is that like experience for you in terms of like the emotional experience for you? Because obviously like this isn't like you said, this wasn't the first time that you had been, uh, you know, exposed to the world of suicide. Um, You know, this is something that like, you had had experience with before mental health is a part of your life it's something that you know like you you said from a from a young age has kind of been part of your story yeah, it's been part yeah, of your journey i yeah. mean like how are the emotions surrounding this idea that you know you look up to somebody and you go and you go um shit this is uh this is you know these people are, are going against everything that you know has been it's it's also like you said it's my story too yeah yeah, honestly, it was it was very tough. It was difficult, you know, because these people have instilled their trust into me and I have allowed them to instill that trust in me. And I have felt, you know, this sense of I look up to you, this sense of you're, uh, you deserve my relationship, you deserve my trust, you deserve the work that I'm putting in. And then for all of that to be kind of defaulted on, if you will, or reneged upon, you know, if we're speaking Euchre terms, you know, like, um, I, I, it, it really caused some issues for me because I thought that this was a place that I could work for years. And I thought mm-hmm. I was, I honestly thought I was going to be in higher ed forever. And it wasn't until 
you know, I had three suicides in one year and the second one that I was responding to and realized these people don't actually care about me. These people don't actually care about our students. These people care about their bottom line. They care about the money that these students represent and the money that these students bring in. And they care about the success of the programs of the institution. It was, it was very, it was eye opening. It was very difficult, you know, and I, at 25 years old, determined this is not a place that I want to work for anymore because Mm. they don't support me. They don't support our students. And ultimately, they're the reason why these students are dying because there is Mm. not enough of an infrastructure. There is not enough of an ecosystem. Dialogue and information. That is promoting mental health awareness and promoting the normalization of these conversations. And, you know, like ultimately I said enough is enough. Like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. So yeah, the emotional component of it was tough for me. I, I did not leave my apartment for like six months. Yeah. I I don't blame you. I mean, I stayed. So from October to July, the first to second suicide, I was, I was okay. I was like, you know, it was a tough loss. It was a student that I was close to. I had a relationship with that student, but I was okay because it was the first kind of close proximity suicide that I'd faced. And it was seemingly... I mean, even just to hear that is so jarring. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just uh, uh, that idea of just... I, I, I have goosebumps because it's like this, this, you know, I was close with this person, but you know, it's kind of part of it. And it's just like, it's just like, it it eats at my soul. The idea that it's like, that we have to have dialogue and use terms. It's, it's kind of part of the experience. It's it's kind of an inevitable, like, you know, you say things like that and it's like, Oh my God, like that's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, totally. 100%. But I mean, And maybe that's just my jaded perspective at this point. Now, you know, having experienced so much trauma and loss, but also because I now work in the suicide prevention space and in the gun violence prevention space, I know that it is inevitable. It's not a matter of Mm. what if, but it's a matter of when is this going to happen to you? Um, You know, and I think that that's, that's, I think it's really important to acknowledge and, I think that's what really from between the first and the second death, I think that's what changed and shifted in my mind was it was a tough loss and it was something that I could handle. But when you face contagion and it is going to happen in a recurring manner, I'm that's not something that I can do. And how how did you find support during that time in your life? Honestly, I didn't. Um, mm. If I'm being fully transparent, I was at the absolute worst I've ever been. I was using sex, drugs, alcohol. I, I was doing everything to feel anything but pain. I mean, mm. I I simply cannot even begin to describe to you the amount of risky things that I put myself through because of the pain that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and that, and that honestly, it's one of those things where you went through a lot and, and that is the, that is, you know, in a system that isn't 
you know, isn't created for support, like you've seen already, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. it's like this idea yeah. that this infrastructure of the school is only a microcosm of the infrastructure that exists nationwide and worldwide um, for, for mental health resources and, and, uh, you know, different kind of like professional supports there. And it's actually funny. I'm, I'm reading right now. I'm listening to it on, on an audiobook, Um, Dr. Gabor Mate's, uh, the myth of normal, which oh, is yeah. just like, have you, have you read it or listened um, to it? Heard it's, about on it? My, it's on my list. I've not read it personally yet. But it's on my Fanta- like, it's, to be read list. It is. I I have. I'm sure the people in my life at this point are probably getting pretty sick of me. Um, absolutely. Like it's <laughs> it's like becoming this thing where like every person who's got ears, I'm like, you have to read the myth of normal. You have to listen to the myth of normal. Um, and and it really it's one of those things where the idea of just trying to find something that will just make you just in a it, it, that idea of like addiction being more of a you know, that, that bandaid where it's like, you can't, you can't get the bullet hole surgically, you know, tied up and neat and tidy because the supports don't exist. So people go and find, try to find the band-aids yes. and those band-aids look like drugs and risky behavior and things yes. that will take your mind to a new place. Um, and it's just, it's a really fascinating book and, and it's just, it's topical because that's just something I'm, I'm reading right now. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, where did, where did that, like that period of your life, where where were the stepping stones like what what kind of got you to because i mean i would in the time that i've known you now it seems like you're in a different place so where you know how did how did things start to kind of move forward sure um well first i think it's important for me to acknowledge and recognize what you just stated you know like you can't patch up a bullet hole with a band-aid um Mm -hmm. And especially because the student suicide, the second of the three student suicides that I was a first responder to was a firearm suicide. Um, I have to speak on the fact that you truly cannot fix a bullet hole with a Band-Aid because I've seen it, I've witnessed it, I've done it. um, And that is exactly what sweeping the issue of suicide under the rug is doing. And that is really ultimately why I decided to leave the institution that I was working for. Um, So I have to start there, but I also have to acknowledge and recognize that, you know, I was in a place of, I was using anything as a bandage and Mm. that was drugs. That was sex. That was alcohol. That was, I mean, I, can't tell. I don't think I was sober for six to nine months after that happened. Like I truly, I, and I'm fully content and able and like uh, fine saying this now that I don't work for this organization. But after that happened, I didn't, I barely left my apartment. I could not walk across campus because I was living in fear, but it was also because I was coping fully using drugs and alcohol. And if I left my apartment or if I left the building that I was in, someone was going to find me out. Um, But moving forward, where am I at today? And how did I get here? Um, Honestly, it took me. I, it took me realizing that I'm fucking sick of listening to the man and to the people in charge and that Mm -hmm. I have to narrate my own life and I have to narrate my own perspective and my experience. And if they're not going to hear me out on this 
immensely deep and immensely traumatic and immensely serious and personal situation, they're never going to hear me. So why am I still here? Yeah. Is it is it fair to say that during this time you were experiencing like elements of PTSD? No, I was absolutely experiencing PTSD and um, I still experience PTSD. Um, but yes, to answer your question, yes, um, I was experiencing PTSD. I was experiencing suicidal ideation because of suicide contagion. Because when it, you have three acts of suicide month after month after month, you know, like you're going to feel that that's the easy way out. And that's something that you can do because, and especially because I had relationships with each of these three students. Of course. Yeah. It hit me harder than probably most other staffers on campus. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that was where I was like, this, this changes everything. It is not just a student. It's not like we go to Arizona State University, the largest university in the country. Um, it is not like we are going to, I don't know, the University of Toronto, you know, like, right. we're, we're at a university that we we have 2600 students. Mm. And in one year, we're dying, we're losing three by suicide. Yeah. That has a major ripple effect, a major impact on campus. And so to me, that was where I was. So yes, I was experiencing not only PTSD, but also suicidal ideation. And I decided, you know, like I refuse to be the next body on this campus and I refuse to be a death and I refuse to be complicit in another death at the hands of this university. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that you you found this turning point that seemed to kind of like establish this new path of being like, this is an environment that is not only not conducive for me, but is not conducive for health. And that you decided to kind of take another path. Your work now, I'm so like, is do you feel like because you're working in the suicide prevention space, uh, you're working, surra- you know, you, you do work surrounding um, gun violence prevention. Like, do you find that the like working in these spaces has become a bit cathartic for you, knowing that you're able to kind of like put your hands in the dirt and, and make a difference? Yes. And um mm. I love this work. I am deeply passionate about it because I've been deeply impacted by it. Um, You know, as both a suicide loss survivor and a gun violence survivor, it's the reason why I chose to work in when I left higher ed. And so let me back up. I left higher ed because that moment that we were just talking about that turning point was because I was being reprimanded and I was being reprimanded for advocating for mental health resources. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like, this is disgusting. I fucking right. hate this. Like if I'm advocating for mental health resources, granted, I didn't do it appropriately. I didn't do it diplomatically, you know, and I knew that. But also sometimes you have to throw a little wrench in the machine in order to get a reaction in order to make change happen. And if there is one thing that I'm good at in my life, it is I will be the wrench in the machine. I will be I am that person to get you to think in another way. So all of that happened. I was reprimanded. And in that meeting where I was being reprimanded, it was literally kind of this like come to Jesus moment where 
you either resign or you leave on your own accord, but this is kind of the end of the road. And so I handed in my resignation letter. You know, I said, I can't do this anymore. Like I no longer believe in what we are doing and I no longer support what we are doing. So I think it's like, this is best. It is best for everyone that I leave. So that led me to where I'm at today, where I decided to apply to jobs in the mental health care sphere. And I now work in suicide prevention where I serve college students and many different college campuses. And I provide training and education and advocacy resources for them while also not working in higher ed specifically or directly. And while also still being able to have my hands in the suicide prevention space. And I love the work that I do. I'm very good at it. I believe in it. Um, I'm non-clinical. So my background in public relations, my background in social media management, like that's what I'm doing for the nonprofit that I currently work for is the digital marketing and like public relations, like community engagement side of things. So Mm -hmm. I'm non-clinical and I'm doing the work that like I love doing for a passion of mine, given my own pain and my own experience. And that feels really beautiful to me, but it is also very, very heavy. And when our office, for example, the last week, we've had three deaths by suicide in our community. Mm. And that causes, of course, a ripple effect, but it also causes like the morale within the office to be lower and to be, you know, like a little bit more somber and a little bit more melancholy. And those days are really tough for me. Yeah, And so I, imagine, yeah. I don't know that I will be in this work long-term um, because I, it, it, it's just very, it's very difficult. Um, and I am coming to this realization where I want to, I want to volunteer in these spaces, gun violence prevention and suicide prevention, because it's a passion of mine, but I do not want my well-being to be tied to it. Do you find that there's a little bit of a draw there with the podcast too? Because I've I've sometimes at at certain points been in this, you know, where I, I kind of find I'm like, you have conversations in in the mental health sphere and they are beautiful and they are much needed and and they they provide a, a an a, an opportunity for somebody out there to go me too and that's a beautiful thing whenever you can do that yes. but there's a, there's a flip side of the coin that occasionally the tough conversations can pile up and then if you are not able to properly mitigate some of those big emotions that come with it it can kind of start to take a bit of a toll on your mental health. And and even the idea of it being like when you dedicate your life to something and your entire life becomes it, it can be a little bit like, you know, you get, you wait out in the ocean. You may be the best swimmer. You might love swimming and you swim out to some deep water. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm a little too far out. Like right. I'm, you know, no, there's, totally. there's some things. So, you know, I, I, do you find that even with the podcast, sometimes it's like, I want to be involved with the space, but I almost want to set a, a, a boundary because of everything I, that I've, I've been through and personally experienced. Yes. Um, I actually find the podcast is where I get most of my fulfillment, most of my joy, Amazing. most of the yeah. um, rewarding, fulfilling kind of like my cup has been filled conversations. Um, The conversations that I'm having at work do that to some extent for sure. 
Um, but because I'm having these conversations on my own, out of my own free will and with my own guidelines, I find the podcast conversations to be just different in terms of the weight that they carry and the impact that they have on me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, like, again, I love the work that I do. I'm damn good at what I do. And I, uh, like, I am confident in that. Um, and I don't think that enough people, especially in today's day and age, say that they are good at what they do. They're more focused on like being busy and like getting tasks done, but it's like, no, like be fucking good at what you're doing and be confident in it. Like, and that to me is important, but like the end all be all is that like, I'm making an impact on lives and, I believe fully that I'm doing that in my work, but I believe more so in the fact that I'm doing that through my podcast and through just like my daily life um, and the work that I, I'm doing I, just as a human. Yeah, I can resonate with that for sure because it, it is one of those things, you know, I, I use the the example, oh, you swim out to the deep water and you love to swim and you're like, oh, you know, maybe it's, this isn't, isn't quite right. But when you're in control, it's a, you know, it is a, it is a powerful thing for sure. And I have noticed that like, as long as I make sure that I keep myself mentally healthy, that being in this space and contributing how I want to contribute, not being like forced one way or another to like, you you know, you have to comment on this, or you have to do an episode about this, or you have to have to have to. And it being one of those things where it's like, I get to explore this space that has so intimately affected me and affects so many people. It is my journey. It is my path. And it does. It brings so much joy in it. And it, you know, it's, it's helped me tremendously along my journey. And it's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's, it's been a, a positive force for, for you too. For sure. Um, speaking of the podcast and, and, you know, kind of as we like begin to kind of wind down our conversation a little bit, and this has been fantastic. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. One oh of my the gosh, that of kind of course, kept... like any time. Of course. Uh, One of the things that kind of popped into my head was a question that you asked me when we did our interview. uh, And, you know, this idea of of perseverance and that you've been through a lot. And, you know, you've had to reorient your relationship with different things in your life. And you have had to put one foot in front of the other at times. And yet you have continued to spread joy and share stories. And you have made an impact in the world of mental health. And I think that that is beautiful. And this word that you said to me was Sisu. Yes. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Sisu. And um, I'm so curious if you can tell us a little bit about that word and and why it means so much to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am 25% Finnish. So my grandfather is a first generation American um, immigrant from Finland. Um, So first person in our family to be born in America. Um, But his parents immigrated here from Finland. And the Finnish culture is deeply ingrained and deeply enrooted in to who we are as a family. And one Finnish cultural term and cultural um, phenomena, if you will, um, is the act of resilience. And the word sisu loosely translates to English as resilience, determination, grit, strength, um, a plethora of other things. There's no direct translation, but it kind of encompasses this embodiment of strength, determination. I I mean, like there's so much to it. 
Um, so really whatever you want to define Sisu as is fine because there, it, it doesn't translate directly. Um, but because I was born and raised in this small town, rural, Northern Midwest, United States culture of hard work. And we don't, you know, cause we don't ruffle any feathers. Like we just do our work and we don't ask questions and we say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. How high, you know, like we jump when being told, um, there's this element of, uh, determination and like resilience that you have to have to overcome not only the hard work that you face in a rural small town um, community, but also the hard work that you face in determining your future to not be that and determining that um, it's okay to say no to people that you've always said yes to. And whether that's family or whether that's your community or culturally speaking, it's okay to write your own narrative and to be perseverant and, um, you know, really define yourself as this strong, determined, resilient, gritty human being. And that is something that I have always latched on to. I am Midwest through and through. I was born and raised in rural Northern Michigan, moved to South Dakota. I'm currently living in South Dakota. Um, I, like I am diehard Midwest, but I'm also not Midwest nice. There's this phrase in the Midwest where you are too kind. Mm-hmm. You You don't ask questions. You don't say no to people you never rock the boat you are very passive because you don't want to cause drama and that is not me like mm-hmm. if there is an issue i'm gonna tell it to you point blank i'm gonna damn I, straight yeah damn straight i'm gonna give it to you straight up like i'm not here to play nice i'm not here to be the you know cookie cutter midwesterner i'm here to watch you squirm because i've got some shit to do you know my favorite quote is we are restless because there is still work to be done Mm. and that to me is the end-all be-all definition of sisu the end-all be-all definition of resilience the end-all be-all definition of who I am as an activist and as someone who advocates for mental health, for suicide prevention, for gun violence prevention, for queer rights, for trans rights, for anyone that's marginalized, for, uh, you know, greater transitional housing post-incarceration. I mean, like, it does not matter what it is that I'm advocating for. The end-all be-all is there is work to be done and we have to finish the job that has been started prior to me getting here. But I'm restless to do so because it's not being done by anyone else. And that, to me, is what SISU means. That's, to me, what keeps me going. It keeps the... Uh, the the pilot light lit you know if mm, if i'm yeah. it, you know like i'm uh, my little light is still lit because i'm steadfast and i'm stable and i'm not stagnant and i'm willing to keep going and push forward and i'm doing so because there's work to be done
I think this conversation with Joel really highlights that we should never forget to stand up for what we believe in and to be proud for using our voice to create change. There is a personal responsibility that we all have when there have been individuals who have had their agency stripped, who haven't had their voices listened to, to work to enact change on the day-to-day, to work to enact betterment, to take one step in the right direction. And I think there's also a, a real beauty, and I think that Joel's story really highlights this, in advocating for what we know is right, uh, even when it can be at the detriment of our personal gain. Um, Joel, there was a significant sacrifice that was involved with Joel advocating for the students that he worked with, for Joel making his voice known and, and kind of creating that good trouble. Uh, that we hear so much about. So really, uh, I I thank you all for taking the time to listen to it. If you want to hear more from Joel, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, like I said at the top of the show, I'm going to put the episode that Joel and I did for for his podcast, It's All in My Head, uh, in the, uh, the podcasting description. Uh, I hope that this chat has inspired you to continue to explore the world of mental health. Um, start some conversations on your own uh, about the beautiful wrecks that uh, that we are, uh, that our society is, that institutions are. And uh, just remember that through all of it, through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the good days and the bad days, that life's a wreck. And I'll see you in two weeks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.